Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. morning again. You live every second of your life under the watchful eye of God in God's presence. You don't have to come here uh, to meet God. Uh, But here we do come together, uh, and this is a sort of vortex of a concentrated spot of uh, putting ourselves in the way of being reminded um, of God's always presence. And so far this semester, we've heard um, from a few amazing people um, who we've asked to reflect on their life and tell us uh, a story of uh, their ongoing discipleship of Jesus, um, to read their own lives uh, before God, to read God through the events of their lives. Um, So we've had some awesome people do that. Um, This morning, we get the chance to do it again. I'm going to let you guess who it is, but it's a man um, in whose hands uh, you are... Good, if not safe. Um, it's poet residence. It's Paul T. Gibson. Hello. Go to the limits of your longing, by Rilke. Listen. God speaks to each of us as He makes us. Then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror just keep going no feeling is final don't let yourself lose me nearby is a country they call life you will know it by its seriousness give me your hand hello i am paul as derek said or yeah as derek said um and here's some pictures of my family that's me and my dad That's me and my mom. Both of these are really old pictures. You can tell because they were taken a long time ago. (laughs) Um, Next, we have um, me and all of my siblings on the left. We have my brother next to me, Thomas, and then below him, Elise, and then my youngest sister, Ren, and then my oldest sister, Madeline. And on the other side, you have repeat of several of those my nose because it's technically a selfie if you didn't notice already (laughs) and my brother-in-law Sam who is a deer now for my titles Uh, who is your favorite feline hero that's my question for you or what is courage without fear or fear the lord and do not fear or this one life One second, I need a friend to help me out with the rest of this sermon (laughs) testimony thing.
You might think I'm going to explain that. I won't. <laughs> Fear the Lord. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Fear the Lord for all his grace. Let's talk about fear. But first, let's pray. Dear God, I do not know what I am doing. I am scared. But I thank you for today, and I ask you please to light the path. Show me your way. Show me the ancient paths. Give me the strength to turn from my own way. Amen. I am afraid, <clears throat> and I would venture to guess that you are afraid too. What are you afraid of? I am afraid of almost everything at times. Often it is a quiet fear in the back of my mind, fear that I am not funny, or that I am too silly. No one will take me seriously. I am too much. I am not enough. I am afraid of being alone, and I am afraid of being known. I am afraid that everything will change. I am also afraid that things will stay the same. I am afraid of the dark. I am afraid of silence. I am afraid of the noise in the dark that I hear when I think there is no one around. I am afraid of silly things. Balloons, spinning objects, fans, lawnmower blades, clowns, mascots, hands, and taking showers. I am also afraid of more serious things. Death, loss, catastrophe, betrayal. I fear being a burden. I fear being forgotten. All my life I have been afraid. As a kid, afraid I would lose my toys, afraid that I would not understand, afraid of falling off my bike or the swing set or the roof of my minivan, our minivan that I liked to climb on top of when no one was around. Then getting older, I was afraid of failure, of looking silly, being embarrassed, being known. I was afraid that my parents would never stop being upset with each other I was afraid of being alone or worse, abandoned. I am afraid that everything will change and I am afraid that everything will stay the same. I am afraid of not being good enough, strong enough, afraid of not being enough. Fear has been the motivation to self-sabotage relationships. I'm so afraid that this will be taken from me that I cannot bear to even hold it any longer. Even though they were maybe not meant to last, what is? I have broken things, good things, as an excuse to throw them out, or because I was afraid that someone else would break it for me later. I have been asked, which are you more afraid of? To love or to be loved? And I did not have an answer. There are essentially two mains of threat, main threads of fear that I see and will try to trace through the fabric of my life today. The first is an earthly fear, directed at the things of this world, distrustful and anxious, 
This fear of failure and loss and not enoughness, it leads me to fret and worry and ultimately to seek control over earthly matters. Which in turn, when that control is continually foiled, leads to a growing to growing that distrust in myself and in my surroundings, in my loved ones, and in God. It is the fear in the Garden of Eden that causes Adam and Eve to sow fig leaves and cover themselves. It is a fear that causes shame. The second fear is a holy fear. It does not omit our normal fears, but it is directed at God and what God will or will not do, what he will give and what he will take away. The command, do not fear, regards the anxious, fretting, non-trusting fear, but this holy fear's point is to trust God, that God is the only thing, big, real, good, beautiful, powerful enough to fully trust. But of course, all that reality means that God is rightly terrifying. He is, after all, decidedly not a tame God. He is not your pet. This holy fear is the necessary component for courage. But enough rambling. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's 2007. I am eight years old. My family sells our home and we move to Trujillo, Peru. Everyone is excited, it seems, to go on the mission field, build the kingdom of God, serve his people overseas. Everyone is excited, except for me. I am afraid of leaving. I am afraid of leaving home and not coming back, fearing to leave my cousins and neighbors and the only world I've ever known, and I feel ashamed of that fear. Here we were, serving the good God, the loving God. I should be trusting, I should be grateful, but I am fearful. This is not a fear of God. I spent my time in Peru in secret anguish, counting the days down with dread, knowing that at the end we would not be returning to the world I knew, Virginia, but would be going to the desert of Israel and after that to the far-off land of Missouri. A place where I knew no one, and no one knew me. Each night, I dreamt I was back at home in Virginia, stomping through the swamp with my cousins and my siblings, riding our bikes through people's yards, climbing trees and the tire swing, making movies, and pretending we were kings and queens and princes of some far-off mystical world. But each morning I woke in the faraway land myself, never homeward bound. I longed for an unreality I could never have, and one that felt wrong, felt sinful to begin with. I wanted to abandon God's people for a life of complacency. What kind of Christian was I? 
It's 2007 still, and I am eight years old, standing on the center line in the middle of a busy road in the heart of Trujillo. Cars rush past on all sides, scarcely room left to breathe. My right hand clutches my brother's hand, my left clutches my mother's. She is focused, determined, and she leads me and my siblings safely to the far side of the road. I am afraid, but she stands stalwart, firm. I think she must have some secret knowledge that we would be okay. I thought we would die, but my mother guided us to safety, a steady hand at the till. Be still, be still my fearful mind, stand firm, and survive. I spend the rest of my time in Peru trying to numb that fear, trying to escape into writing, into reading. I didn't read books any longer. I dove into them. I devoured them, swam through them. I did not daydream. I dissociated. I saw fatal crashes on the highway and felt nothing. My class took a particularly gruesome field trip to a human anatomy and dissection lab. I remember dipping my hand into a bucket of wrist bones and scooping them up like Legos. I remember making faces at things that used to be people, just to make my classmates laugh. Now I look back, disturbed at the grotesque displays, but mostly I am horrified that even at eight years old, I mistook my flippancy for bravery. Begone, secret anguish. Begone, fears of the unknown. This apathy, this numbing, was my untrusting bid for control. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's 2011, February, four days ago. A Tuesday. It's 6 a.m. My family is ill. The house is a mess inside so much that one might not even call it a home anymore. It's no one's fault in particular. This dysfunction, this addiction, this disorder, this sickness, but it is our responsibility to attend to this brokenness. But we ran out of glue a year ago and started with tape, but that is all used up. Now it is staples in places, but we are running low on those too. This place, it is falling apart. No one tells me why. No one told me it would be this hard. The trees unravel all around me. The grains of wood become grains of sand. But today is 2011, a Tuesday at 6 a.m., and I wake to the dark and feel something is wrong. 
Something is different. What is the difference? My parents' room is empty. I go to the kitchen, press the blinking button on the receiver. The baby is here. We're going to the hospital. Call when you get this. I'm filled with fear. I don't know much, but I know that there is nothing safe about childbirth. I do not trust, and I cannot control it. I am tempted even to not care. I am tempted to go back to bed and try to forget the whole thing. It feels safer that way. For all my life, I have had nightmares. They come and go. Months might pass with not so much as a work or school stress dream to disturb my sleep. Then, without warning, I will go weeks, saturated with horrors that I care not to describe here, except to say that the scariest movies I've seen scare me mostly in their resemblance to these nightmares. The echo of a world that besets me from within, terror that drains my body of strength so that I cannot move. I cannot even weep or cry out, can only lie there, my mind infused with frantic, scrambling thoughts, my face drenched in sweat and silent tears. When at last I wake, I am often too afraid to open my eyes for fear of what I might see. It feels silly to be affected by something not real. But then again, all of us are affected by the past and the future, and those are not real either. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? It's 2021, the summer after my graduation and my baptism. And besides that graduation that ba and baptism, that piece of paper, that submersion, things have not gone to plan. I did not finish the last 13 credits and change of my math studies. I finished with creative writing, which is nice, but was not my plan. My friends have jobs and are scattering to the four winds of employment. My heart is breaking, and I am terrified that I made all the wrong decisions or that I failed to make any decisions at all. So I take hold of something, a job, working the night shift alone. You may laugh, but it seemed like the right idea. I was wounded and bent out of shape from grief and betrayal. I felt I needed to get away from everyone and everything. I felt I needed quiet to heal. The cars were barreling past in all directions. I needed to step away. I needed something I could control, but there was nothing I could control. My life felt like it was spiraling, and it felt like success just to keep things from going faster any faster. Besides, control is rooted in distrust. And when opposed leads to anger, anger to pride, pride to non-empathy, more distrust, more disconnect. 
I chose silence, darkness, the one thing that I could count on. I worked the night shift, midnight to 8 a.m. My nights were your mornings, my mornings your nights. Silence, yes, the one thing I could count on. Unfortunately, or fortunately, this also deprived me of all the usual tools for soothing fear, for numbing the pain. Where before, I could listen to music. Now, my job required that I keep careful watch. Where before, I could ignore or avoid my sources of fear. Now, my job duties entailed a careful investigation of every strange noise or ghostly light. It required that I patrol regularly and especially those corners and basements most secluded and shadowy, capable of harboring threats. Three or four times an hour, often more, I walked the length of the building. I tracked miles and miles of walking every night. Threats I investigated mostly involved nothing more than a few prospective bike thieves and a particularly inspired bat that managed its way into the building and decided to chase me down the hallway. Those of you who knew me at the time know I was a specter of myself, going about my duties faithfully, but with hardly an ounce of spirit or verve, I still felt like a paperclip bent out of shape, one bend short of breaking. In the wake of the grief and pain surrounding my recent breakup, an unstable housing situation, and five years of saying, it is what it is, finally crashing down around me. All the losses, the people I had not let myself grieve, the loss of because I couldn't bear the reality of their farewell. My heart was an open wound, and though I knew apathy was no salve, no serious way of life, nonetheless it was the only bandage I knew. I needed to protect my heart, hold it as still as I could, so I could be a husk. My journaling from the time as hollow and thin and devoid of movement. I had done this before. Many times I had wrapped myself in a cocoon, clenched my wounded heart into a fist and carried on, numbed myself with noise, but this time something was different. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Two thousand eleven. My sister arrives in this world at six AM unharmed. The same moment that I hopped out of bed, an anxious twelve year old now. In the year 2023, she is the 12-year-old, and I am double that age. My older sister is expecting in March, and I am excited to welcome Kezia into the world, but the fear is what I feel, that my life is falling apart. I am afraid because I cannot keep the ones I love safe. I cannot control the world. I cannot control what will happen to them. Time is nothing but passing. Every time I go back to St. Louis to visit my little sister, Ren, she is older, taller, wiser, less little than the time before. 
I am afraid every time I drive to my mom's house that it will be the last time they will be waiting for me. I am afraid when driving back to Kirksville, my home, that I said the wrong kind of goodbye. Every place and person is growing, changing, and staying the same. It is crushing. He answered, I heard you in the garden, Lord, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In Eden, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid from God, others, and ourselves. But in baptism, we are naked and afraid and united with God, others, ourselves. Here I was seeking to live faithfully, baptized in water and the night. It's 2021, and like I said, something is different. My numbing salves are stripped from me. Every night is an unignorable fear, unsoothable agony. I find myself walking the crooked path at my job, investigating strange noises, walking alone in the dark corners of reality. And as with spiritual disciplines or ritualistic training, my heart and mind begin to follow in the footsteps of my body. My fear, my alert mind cannot be numbed, and so the pseudo-salve of apathy and avoidance remain at arm's length, unable to close the door to fear and to the rest of my heart, unable to place my roiling emotions into their respective compartments. Fear, like a doorstop in the doorway to emotions. So I find myself weeping at the setting sun, at each setting sun, longing for places and people long gone, marveling at the fox living out by the prayer labyrinth, at the vapor in the sunrise over Forest Lake at Thousand Hills, at the valley across from Llewellyn Cemetery, cradling the setting sun in its lap like a child. I scarcely have the strength to speak or walk, let alone to sing, but my eyes have never been so widely opened. On the weekends, I would drive through the night, the world void of humanity but flush with nocturnal, wilder beings. This was a holy terror. I feared what God would show me next, but I was beginning to trust that he would show me something. The practice of fear. A curious fear, not a fear that seeks to control, to fret, to pour over, panic about, was the last bridge standing from myself to myself. It was the final plowshare tilling the ground of my heart, exposing the earth to the elements, keeping it tender and vulnerable to harm, but also keeping it fearfully and wonderfully made alive, arable to sowing. I wrestled every day with the pain of betrayal, the pain of loss. I watched the vapor columns over the water like slow-dancing specters, whirling, watching, waiting. And I wept at the setting sun for fear that it would never rise again. For fear of the long hours waiting in the dark, 
not knowing this was a holy terror. There were days I wept without voice until I felt sick and watched the swallows flitting through the mist, skimming the surface of the lake. I watched the stars overhead like sojourners, pointing at the distance, at the astronomical depth of this great unknown. And I feared my insignificance, my nonetheless existence. I feared so intently and earnestly, so honestly, with no strength left in me for pretension of control, so utterly humbled by loss and change and my inability to adapt, that at times I could not distinguish my fear from wonder. Fear may source so much of our anger, but it is that same fear and its prideless omission which is the way back up the tree so that we can choose another branch other than anger. Or maybe if fear is the thread knotted into anger, it is that same thread fear we must tug at and investigate if we hope to unravel the anger, the pride, the control, if we hope to lay it all down, if I hope to turn from my wretched scrambling at the dirt that one can scarcely call a path, let alone a way of living. I have torn apart so much in the name of fixing. I have lost so much in trying to cling to it, and you will one day too if you haven't already. He who tries to save his life will lose it, but who loses it for my sake will find it. The Lord God made garments of skin for the man and his wife and clothed them. Maybe fear is a necessary component of courage. Maybe fear is the sharp edge of wonder. Maybe fear of loss is the worthwhile cost of love, and grief is the receipt, the gratitude. I will not argue that fear is fun or pleasant, but the common thread through culture from campfire stories to roller coasters to the uncertainty in sports competitions. Something about fear makes us feel alive. My time spent standing between impenetrable traffic lanes, between hurtling chunks of metal, of walking intently in the dark, tell me I would be a fool to overlook the value of right-minded, holy fear, fear without an eye towards control, fear with an open hand, fear that says, I want to protect this person with my whole being. But I know I cannot. That to not let go, at least in part, is to smother to ignore, to not discern the call to attention in this mortal tension, that would be as foolish as walking with my eyes shut and my hands over my ears, holding my breath. Fear that leads me to humility in my confrontation of the great unknown. Still, I fear life to go on.
I fear death, the great beyond. I fear I will make a mess of both. I fear there is some secret thing about me that earns me God's love, and unknowingly I will cast it off like a toddler, hurling the house keys into the lake. I fear that I will be cast off, that I have already been cast off. I fear I will never see you again. But the Lord God says, fear me instead. I can hold all your fear. Fear my goodness. Fear my wisdom and mercy. Fear my boundless grace. Fear every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, for his peace surpasses all understanding, and his grace endures forever. Fear the good shepherd, for he is the truth, the life, the way. He is good. He is not tame, but he is good. He is the perfect love, which casts out fear. You are not alone in your fear. Fear not whether you are enough. Have courage and fear the truth, the bright, unbearable reality that you are beloved by Christ, by the Lord God, who we cannot understand or control, but whom we know to be good, for his love is better than any other. It is the perfect love which casts out fear. My mom guided me and my siblings to safety that day, stranded in the road. She did it with skill, discernment, and courage. We left my older sister at the junior high school, and she watched us through the window as we went lane by lane to the middle school. The taxi we had called had abandoned us. She was firm in her resolve, my mother. That is what I remember. But more recently, I learned that as soon as we were safely at school, mom went to the nearest payphone and called her older brother and told him, I thought I had killed my kids. I thought my daughter was going to see it all. My uncle didn't know what to say. Who would? My mom wept in fear and relief. And what kind of love would she have had for us if she had not, if she had just carried on, as if nothing had happened? In the Garden of Eden we hid in fear, for we were ashamed. We sought to blind ourselves and soothe ourselves with leaves sewn together, numb the pain, cover up our inward being. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus looked at what needed doing and said, I am afraid. I do not want to walk this path, drink from this cup, but I trust you. Take fear seriously. Take trust seriously. You are going to be afraid. Your life is not going to go according to your plan. It is your choice what that fear does to you. Does it paralyze you? Does it push you to anger because you cannot control the churning surge of life? Do you ignore the threat and look the other way? Or do you do what my mother did? She saw the danger 
and watched it closely. She pried open her desire to control the situation and instead said, I love these kids. I will pay attention. If there is a way to bring them safely across, I will find that way. I will have courage. As Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Fear the Lord with holy fear, for it is that fear that will keep you alive to his wondrous works. It is that sacred terror that keeps your heart from growing barren to his deep abiding goodness. That holy fear will keep you burning with the immeasurable grace of God. Keep your mind and body aflame with the truth that you are beloved. Have courage in the face of darkness. Walk boldly, knowing you do not know. And walking anyway, praying, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. God, I am so scared. Let our earthly worries serve to stir compassion in our stubborn hearts for our friends, for our loved ones. Awaken in us a holy fear. Open our eyes wide to your wonder. We do not know what we are doing. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well.